Hello, everyone. My name is Josh Williams. Very excited to be with you all today. I want to tell you something very important. I met Jesus on January 15th, 2024, MLK Day. He did pronounce his name Jesus, so I guess it's a little bit different than meeting Jesus. Um, but my family was sent out by Pastor Kiana, who we've mentioned a lot in the service, which is great. She boldly sent us out on the green to go uh, and give care packages to folks that were living outside or were outside or were somehow presenting some kind of vulnerability. Um, our family uh, went and we saw someone, and it was actually a, a really cool time meeting this guy, Jesus. Um, he had said uh, in his kind of uh, way of introducing himself, they had a really bad experience, um, probably a few, maybe I think it was months before, maybe eight or nine months before, uh, he had an overdose. And since that time, he had committed to sobriety, and it was working. He was finding life, finding encouragement, but he really needed to use the services that our city offered. In some ways, it was like a really good scenario, right? He wasn't uh, addicted anymore. He was using the resources that our city has, and we were able to just give him this care package and pray for him in English and in Spanish. And it was uh, a great time to meet him and to engage him. And it was Tina and me and our kids that were like the sent out folk. And so to see my kids, uh, you know, try, try praying, you know, taking a little step of risk was great. And it's something that we wanted to do because we live by a busy intersection where we're often seeing people and not really knowing, like, can we, you know, go that fast to get them? Oh, no, we're now, we're going across the, the highway. Like, it's just hard sometimes to engage folk. And to be honest, sometimes we're not sure what to do. And then the moment's over. We had a different story that day, which is great. But, you know, that activity uh, that Kiana sent us on is always a little bit hard. You know, we're all in a room. We haven't been told we're going to do this. And then Kiana says, hey, we're going to go outside. We're like, wait, what? Like, to leave? Are, are we done? She's like, no, to, like, do this activity to, like, you know, go out. Like, where? Like, just the green. Like, where on the green? Like, sometimes you just don't know what to do. That's not the case for our Sprouts. Two of them actually just grabbed each other's hands, like, we're partners, we're ready to go. We're like, no, you have to have some adults with you. They got adults, it was great. But sometimes doing things like this can feel weird. How do we serve? Like, how do you see someone's vulnerability? Isn't that weird to reach someone? Like, what does the poor even mean? There's good questions we can ask. But even looking at our experience as a family, as weird as it might have seemed at the beginning, we actually had a good experience that built up my little kid's faith and gave us an opportunity as a family to serve. This activity brought us into contact with our neighbors, however risky it might have been. It's actually something that as a church we've felt committed to for a while. You might have to help me with this one now. There you go, thanks. Um, this verse in Jeremiah, one of the prophets, chapter 29, verse 7, says this, Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. You know, it's easy to think about, like, so how does this go wrong? How is this messy? How might this not work at all? Just like, how can we fail when we try to love people who are different than us, to love people that have vulnerabilities? But 
the deeper reason why this wasn't happening in my life, maybe doesn't happen in our lives, is just a simple word, time. There just usually doesn't seem like there's enough time to serve, to go beyond yourself, to do something vulnerable and risky, something at the end of the day you don't even know if it'll be, like, good. This was different. We had a day off. A leader uh, who shared this activity with us more than a, a month in advance, that was pretty good, and people to be with in our service. We had time to meet Jesus. We had time to meet Jesus. And it turns out that time is pretty critical to live something out, to pursue a value. I'm not sure if you guys have heard of this study. It's one that was done on seminary students. And it was about time, essentially. The question was, could people sincerely held beliefs make any kind of difference when they are faced with busyness? This is uh, Stanford University's recap of that study. The researchers asked each of 67 seminary students to deliver a sermon on the parable of the Good Samaritan, a Bible story about helping strangers in need. The researchers then randomly assigned the students to one of two conditions. In the hurried condition, a research assistant concluded the sermon instructions with, oh, you're late. They were expecting you a few minutes ago. We'd better get moving. In the unhurried condition, the research assistant ended the instructions with, it'll be a few minutes before they're ready for you, but you might as well head over. Each student walked alone to the building. On the way, the student encountered a man slumped in a doorway with his eyes closed, coughing and moaning, clearly in distress. From afar, researchers watched. Would the seminary student stop to help the stranger in need? You, yeah, exactly, right? It's kind of funny. They really like, made the study. What do you guys think happened? If you know it, don't say anything, please. Come on, don't ruin it. But anyone have a sense? Got a quiet bunch. Those with time helped. Yeah. Here's what happened. The authors of the study found that only 10% of seminary students in the hurried condition stopped to help the man. Only 10%. And 63% of the participants in the unhurried condition stopped. In other words, being in a hurry can e lead even a seminary student with the Good Samaritan on the mind to ignore a person in distress. I love these studies for a number of reasons. One is like people are trying to like, okay, let's see like who would really have like this way of knowing like seminary students. Some of us are in seminary like, that might be a bad choice. Like really, those guys? Again, I've been a seminary student. Second is like the good number is what? 63%. Now it's a majority, right? But I mean, moaning, crying out in distress after reading like the parable of the Good Samaritan. And here's what this doesn't say. Stanford kind of forgot one part. There was a whole other group, a group that just was giving a talk on jobs. Same things happen, hurried and unhurried. Do you think the numbers are that different? Not that much. Like, these numbers beat it by a little bit, but not by much at all. So like the parable of the Good Samaritan and like preparing a talk on that, meditating, like praying, and then just giving a talk about jobs. Like same thing. When a person is moaning, crying out in distress in an alleyway, same results. 
Yikes. You might be wondering, Josh, why are you telling us this? Are you about to preach a message on the Good Samaritan? And if you are, aren't you saying that might not mean anything for my actual life? <clears throat> no. I'm not going to read the Good Samaritan story. And I, I hope no about the other thing too, but I'm definitely not going to read the Good Samaritan story. So that's like, that's actual. But the other thing you have some, you know, uh, play in. What's going to happen to us? <laughs> I think in ways this is part of the season we're in, the season of Lent, which is one of intervention. Like it's a church season that's actually about intervening. So much of uh, the church calendar, if you're familiar with it, is it's ordinary time, and you're in celebration, you're in rejoicing, you're in excitement over who God is and what God's doing. Like there's like a particular season of that after Easter, but there's even this kind of ordinariness of just, we're just worshiping this God who is raised from the dead. But in Lent, there's an intervention. It's a season of prayer, reflection, sobriety, focusing on your mortality, the fact that you will die. Again, you might be wondering, Josh, again, good news. I need you to get to it at some point. Focusing on your sin, our sin, just like we did the past two weeks. And that can seem really intense. And I think it is in many ways. But I hope even these last two weeks have taught us something, that we don't need to be scared of being people who sin, but can go to God for confession, for repentance, for forgiveness. We've been leaning into that the last few weeks. That's part of what this Lenten time is for us. We're leaning in to what God has for us as we become people of prayer, people who give time, people who aren't just kind of like, oh, should I share my sin, but actually maybe excited is the wrong word, but willing, even increasingly so, to share some of the dark things and bring them into the light. And to do that not just in a personal way, but increasingly to think about what beyond just like who I am, how is that affected? And it's all about remembering this sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross and knowing there's not just a personal sin we're connected to, like our own mistakes, but ultimately facing the reality that Jesus was killed by humanity. People who said they loved him, people who cheered for him, people who followed him, even betrayed him. Remembering what this sacrifice means, our connection to it, and also that this wasn't the end of the story. But that's getting a little bit too ahead of myself. It's easy to think about this story and to see its personal nature, like how we're so grateful for this story for us, for me. But our sin isn't simply a personal story. Instead, our corporate story is shaped by our personal and corporate sins. Like the way the world is isn't just because of your own mistakes. It's all of ours together. It's all our sins together. And the people of God knew a thing or two about that. And they had calls, calls to the people of God to change. Here's one from Isaiah 58.
the word of the Lord. It's pretty clear that the people of God knew that there was a corporate cry that was needed to take care of the vulnerable. And it's obvious from those scriptures, it wasn't just a cry and it wasn't just religious practices like Sabbath that people were being called to. They were being called to justice, not against a religious practice, but with a religious practice. What if we did true fasting? What if we did true Sabbath? What if we did a true kind of work unto the Lord? What would happen then? Honoring God, loving the poor in word and deed. This is what we have an opportunity to do this season in Lent. It's what we have an opportunity to do in our lives as followers of Jesus or folks that are interested in God. It's what we get to do as ECV in this season and out of it. Let's pray together for God's strength, God's spirit, and God's help to do this. Holy Spirit, would you come? Thank you that the Spirit of God rested on people, caused people to shout out those verses. Not just in ancient time, but right now in this time. We pray, God, that you would give us the words and the actions to be a community that isn't just all talk, but also uh, doesn't let good works keep us from sharing good news. Holy Spirit, help us to be an integrated community. Be with us, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. We need time, time that many of us feel like we don't have to serve and to serve the poor. But let's look at what this even means. What is this kind of category? Sometimes we look at this word and it even seems offensive, but it's all over the scripture. And it basically uh, is so many of the things that are going to come up. I'm just going to read some of the phrases here uh, throughout the series. We'll get into a lot more of these verses. In the book of Leviticus, leave food for the poor and the foreigner. If any of your fellow Israelites become poor, then support them. Help them as you would a foreigner and stranger. Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. I know that the Lord secures justice for the poor and upholds the cause of the needy. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. Whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. We see here that the call can be different. Sometimes it's to serve. Sometimes it's to serve people who are close to you in your community. Sometimes it's to serve people that are far outside of your community. Sometimes it's to just uphold the cause. Sometimes it's to provide justice, to secure justice. And it also links this category of the poor with being oppressed, being marginalized. Although there's so many beautiful stories and scriptures about spiritual poverty and what it means to be poor in spirit, I think these passages are talking about material poverty the conditions of poverty, struggling in life, often having awful exploitative treatment. Some of us know too well what these scriptures speak of. It's been our lives, and it is our life. Sometimes it's easy to put you know, uh, uh, your best face forward on Sunday or in home group, but many of us are close to these communities, and I want to acknowledge that in this sacred space. When we're saying the poor, it's not just the poor out there, but it's even what we are familiar with in our own community, in our own lives. 
I want to ask you a few questions right now. The questions will have a familiar phrasing to them, and I know we were a little bit getting started. No one's going to have to speak out loud, but I am going to ask you to raise your hand if anyone wants to just try to see if their elbows and hands still work now. I'm the only one doing that. Anyone else want to just try to see if hey, we got a few other people? Okay, looks like arms work. You don't have to participate in this, but it's good to know that our arms are working. The questions will have a familiar phrasing. If you can go back, if you don't mind, that's okay. Um, and you can do that one, yeah. Have you or your family or someone else you love experienced? That's gonna be the phrasing of the question. So it's yourself, it's your family, as you define that, right? That could be by blood, that could be people that you call family or someone you love, someone you care about, right? So you're not just talking about yourself, but you're talking about all those three. Have you or your family or someone else you love experienced? And I just wanna ask you, uh, don't go yet, but I wanna ask you when a thing pops up, I'll read it, if you don't mind to raise your hand. Again, don't have to, don't feel pressured to, but I'd love if you would just to see uh, what God is doing in this sacred space. So we can start with the first one. Have you or your family or someone else you love experienced addiction? And feel free if you want to just look around the room. That's the majority of us. Have, uh, you can put your hands down. Have you or someone in your family or one of your loved ones ever experienced incarceration? Less of us, but still many people. Put your hands down. Have you or someone in your family or one of your loved ones ever experienced poverty? in whatever that condition would define as poverty. Once again, it's the majority of us. Now, one more question. Uh, now, uh, the same categories, addiction, incarceration, or poverty, have you, are, right now, is someone, are you, uh, someone you love or someone in your family experiencing it right now? So not just historically, but right now, someone is experiencing addiction, incarceration, um, or poverty. Sometimes when you're in a community, uh, and especially when it's a community like ours, where we try to greet each other with a smile, we're happy. We feel like we need to maybe present a good face, maybe even a church face, a Christian face. We can lose sight of those realities. I remember someone was uh, telling me a story like this, where they did that exercise in a black church, specifically around incarceration. And I think they asked, like, hey, you know, who has a connection? I think almost no one raised their hand because they're like, well, we're here. We're not in jail. And they kind of said, but wait, what about a family member? And almost everyone's hand went up. And we don't realize that we're so close to vulnerability. Or maybe we know that we're close, but we wouldn't expect the majority of this community to be as close. But we are. And all of a sudden, you're starting to see where the good news could come. If Jesus isn't talking about spiritual good news, or spiritual poverty, but good news that would impact people's lives, would change those condi conditions of addiction, of incarceration, of poverty. Wouldn't that be good news? And what if God's people were some of the folks who were doing that work with others in collaboration, but we were doing that work in the name of Jesus, loving folk in word and deed? That's what we can see. And one of the questions is, why? Why do that work? 
Why does God care about this? What is God's heart behind this? When I go to our last scripture, it's from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. I want to read the words for you. It says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I want to ask you just one question right now. That's all I'm reading right now. I want you to think about going to the green, going to your workplace, going to your kid's school, going to Times Square, and reading that, and asking, do you think you know what happens next? Do you think you know the people that God would be saying, get to experience that kingdom from the foundation of the world? Because at least in some of the circles that I run in, a lot of people would say, well, it's about perfect obedience. It's about the years of church attendance. Maybe it's about giving to the local church, doing the right things. I mean, this is big, separating sheep from goats, getting this preparation of this kingdom? What is this about? Now, some of you already know, but think about that. If it just stopped there and you were to ask someone on the street, would they think this passage is about this? For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. And he has some more words as well. Then he will say to those at his left hand, you that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. And naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. We can look here into some of the, the ways that Jesus is speaking so personally to conditions that are so important. Being hungry, being thirsty, being a stranger, being naked or sick, being in prison. He's speaking to our conditions, the conditions of our lives. This isn't just a, a, a cause chapter of Scripture. Again, that's in the Scriptures. Like, that's there. 
But Jesus personalizes it. This, these are his words. And he's saying, when you saw someone in those places and did those things, it was for me. Or when you saw someone like that and didn't do anything, you didn't see me. Why is he talking so personally? Why is he making this like such a big deal, an eternal deal? I think it's because God really cares about those who are struggling with material conditions. He really cares about those who are lacking something and finding this human family that he calls, these people remember, it says his family. No one's looking out for them. But Jesus says, I am looking for people who are looking out for them. Because if you're looking out for them, you're looking out for me. It's easy to forget to do this. It's easy not to prioritize this. But then you realize in this passage, when you do, you meet Jesus. Like you meet the risen one. Like you meet our Savior, our friend. Like when we do these things, we have an experience, an opportunity to, to worship. I want to tell you a few stories, hopefully with some speed. If you know uh, a little bit of the story of the vineyard, this uh, church movement was founded by someone named John Wimber, one of the founders. And he had an experience of being burnt out, really on religion, on trying to follow God, and eventually found his faith again through worship, specifically musical worship, going from singing songs about God to singing songs to God. And then he said, well, if this is affecting our faith, like, let's actually step into it more. Let's see what God's saying in the Bible. And he saw that there were things in Jesus' life that they'd never experienced. Physical healing, deliverance, going out and actually preaching. And they said, well, let's try to do that. And they tried for a while and failed. But then they saw actually physical healing break out in their churches. It might seem crazy. Might not be, that might be a new idea for you. But they saw that. But then something else happened. They were now experiencing powerful worship musically. They were experiencing these like, uh, crazy things supernaturally, people getting healed when they were sick. But then there was a day where John Wimber saw people like right by the church that were struggling, were clearly vulnerable. And he said, there was something else actually that I forgot that was in the book, like another thing that Jesus was doing, another thing the people of God did. And it was to remember the poor, to care for them. And he just wept and wept and wept, because here he was thinking that he found so much, was experiencing so much life, and he didn't realize that life is meant to flow out to the streets of our cities. That life is meant to flow out into the alleyways of our communities. That life is meant to actually bring more life to others than just ourselves. And he repented. He changed. He started a whole new ministry. Actually, one of the things that was really key to the vineyard in that time was this word, mercy. They said, it's just mercy. It's the mercy of God, God's kindness. Mercy is about when there's lack or when there's wrong. And kindness is what John Wimber said. He's like, we've got to let people experience the kindness of God. Because it turns out that when you're naked, when you're sick, when you're hungry and no one's helping you, do you think it's their fault or do you think it's your fault? You usually think it's your fault. But this teaching was saying, no, the church needs to rise up and to say, actually, we can give mercy I'm going to share more stories tonight, so I'm going to leave some out today. Stories uh, about Agape community and my own story of, honestly, foolishly almost passing up that opportunity. Because I said, why would I give out sandwiches? Well, besides the fact that my girlfriend's asking me to do it. But why else would I give out sandwiches? That's not going to change anything. 
And then in doing that, I found this whole new community to worship alongside, to be with, that changed my life. I think about our church's story and some of the pictures that you can see here. One of them is uh, one of the first ministries we did in New Hallville called Your Place Youth Center, just doing mentoring. Matt's going to tell you a story about that downstairs. More of the uh, community saying, we, we know we worship together downtown, but let's find another spot that can be another hub of our ministry and choosing New Hallville and pouring into the lives of teens and then learning a whole new side of New Haven and a whole new way of seeing our city. This is a picture of Agape, just a circle of chairs. That's what we did. Just sang, talked, prayed, bringing a lot of things that we do here on Sundays and bringing them to a community that really didn't uh, have interest in it, if I'm honest at first, but then saw that somehow laying on a hand and saying, be blessed in the name of Jesus and giving a coat and giving some food can make a world of a difference. I say to Agape, what happened is people became human again human enough actually to work with social services that made a lot of people get out of poverty. It was about three or four every year. I don't think we gave them advice to do that, but I think we also gave them a sense of being dignified so they could go to Columbus House, they could call 211, they could engage with a person and expect that they are worthy of respect and dignity because someone else had taught them that. We have some of those people that came into our community and started to serve, to give testimony. This is Mike Giuliano, he's passed now, but he became a beloved friend that actually was like a preacher, preaching uh, to us, and then eventually he's like, hey guys, I got my own ministry, so I'm gonna go to another church now. We're like, bless you, brother. <laughs> he went to another space, did more preaching and teaching, and his story began at Agape. And so when we were sitting alongside, and eventually he, again, ministered to us and then ministered to others. We had a, a ministry called Kingdom Cafe. There's just some of the young people of our city. Uh, this guy Solomon now is a youth pastor at Church on the Rock. We're seeing pouring into young people and them now pouring into others. A community that many of us lived in called Kensington. And just the ways that even simple things like street cleanups became an opportunity to say, this place is safe. Every city, every street deserves to be safe. Safe enough for people to come, to dwell, to spend time, whether they live there or not. I think most of the people that are in that did live there in that community. But we said, could we actually just try to bless a neighborhood that was called historically the most violent one in New Haven? Can we bring peace to the streets with the folks that live there? And then there's two more. Uh, this is, uh, I think, the location, right, of Sunrise Cafe. Uh, it's, uh, I think this was another ministry that Daniqua was leading us into. But some of you guys can have an opportunity to do this right in this place, to actually be with people, to share space, share time, to serve. Todd's leading that ministry, I encourage you, is one of the things we're starting up, go. We've been there before, I hope we'll be there again. And even sometimes in our city, when there's things that went down, we were people that, it's okay, you can, it's fine. Uh, we were people that were trying to stand and be present with our community. This is some of our journey, but one of the reasons why we're kind of highlighting it now is because after the pandemic, many of the things that we were doing they actually just got shut down. We're going, there's some things that we were doing that we actually can't take pictures of, like the jail Bible studies that we were doing. We just were told, hey, you can't go here anymore. Agape became kind of a, a community where people were like, is this safe to do? And then one of the leaders uh, tragically passed away. Desk, a ministry that we did, also said, hey, you know, hopefully we can start it up again. But remember that timeline in the pandemic, right? A few weeks, a few months, 
then a few years passed. And although we're doing this great work as a community around nonviolence and trying to be with people every month, it's a different kind of ministry. So we have an opportunity again as a church to do that work, to love, and to serve. We have really honestly a need to do it. It's been who we are. It's been who we've been. But there's an opportunity to step into that again. There's so many reasons why it's hard. So many reasons why we could maybe say we don't have the time. But uh, we have a story of a city that really does need this. Last thing, and then I'll wrap it up with some invitations. This is the same verse on the side. You can zoom it in, please. This is uh, something from Data Haven. It just talks about New Haven. And you can see how much our city is different than all of the rest of Connecticut. A home ownership rate that's about 40% below at 28%. A housing cost burden rate that is at 53%. That means when you're spending 30% of your income on your housing. The poverty rate is more than double at 26%. This is uh, a story that I think our church could impact. It's crazy to say that. Maybe it's crazy to believe that. But I have to believe that God wants us to. Here's some invitations for us. The worship team can come up. The invitations are really Lenten ones, because I think Lent always has this component to it. The question is, do we want to focus on it or not? And the, the focus is just on giving things away. Whether it's giving our time away, praying, we have these two opportunities for intercession Wednesday night and Thursday morning, serving, we have that opportunity with Sunrise Cafe, that's going to be the first of a few opportunities that we roll out and say, hey, if you're free, if you want to serve with other people at ECV, please go ahead and do that. We can give money to organizations that we're highlighting like Sunrise Cafe and other ones that will come up this Lent. And then reflect on your worship. When you think about worshiping the Lord, do you mostly think maybe just of music or Sundays? Or do you think of the hungry? Do you think of the naked? Do you think of the outsider, the stranger? Because serving those folk, that too is our worship. And remember, it's not word or deed. It's word and deed. It's not musical worship or service. It's both. This Lent, we're going to hopefully drive right at those contradictions, right at those questions, and say, we can be a community that can help serve our city, but we have to have some kind of sacrifice, whether it's of time, whether it's of talent, whether it's of treasure. Otherwise, I don't think this community, our community, will do the things that the Lord is asking of us. Let me pray for us before we transition to worship and transition to a time of response, because even though it's a corporate call, we need to be ready to be resourced individually. Does that make sense? Like, we need to actually do something corporately, but we need to individually be filled up with the Spirit, be filled up with God, so we can say a confident yes. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come and fill us up with your power, fill us up with your goodness? Holy Spirit, come. Thank you. You do call us to preach good news, but you also say that we have good works. I just feel like there's a few people here where you've been wondering about this along the lines of what to do with time or what to do with your calling. I pray that you would right now feel released and free to ask the Lord questions about that. 
And I feel like there's some of you that there's actually been uh, just a, a difficulty in pursuing this exact uh, kind of conversation about how to make a difference. For some of you, I think it's been at your workplace where you've been doing that. You don't do it through a ministry at the church. You're like, this is my work. This is my life. And it's been really difficult. I feel like God wants to ha- give you some grace and also some wisdom about how to navigate things.